G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I just can't remember my pre-conversion life. All I can remember is my life uh, after six as, as a child. And so I started, generally, I started to question whether I was actually saved or just a, naturally a good person. And I actually had a crisis of faith. I started to doubt whether I was saved and I started to think maybe I'm just a good person. And it was really getting to me. It was really bothering me. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Our guest today is Ben Evans. He's the CEO of Feed the Hungry, and he's going to share his story with us. He comes from a family that has travelled around a lot and has quite a spiritual heritage. He'll share with us the events that have shaped his life and led him to become involved in feeding the hungry in various parts of the world. Ben is chatting with Eric Scadabo. Ben Evans, welcome to the program. Ah, Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to the chat. Glad to have you with us, and we're going to find out all the things that led up to you being the CEO. Now, you're in Sydney right now, is that right? Uh, that's right. Born and bred in Sydney uh, uh, a while ago, but okay. uh, <laughs> I've been all around Australia, but uh, we always came back to Sydney. Okay, and Feed the Hungry is not just in Australia, is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh, so, we have an office. I look after Australia, New Zealand, and I guess really Asia Pacific, but we're also part of an international or global group. So, we have offices ar- around the world and feeding hungry children around the world. Okay. Well, we're going to find out about all that and how you're involved with that. But first, let's go back to your childhood in Sydney. What was it like? What are your general impressions? Uh, yeah. So, it's it's funny. Uh, we did travel a lot, as, as I alluded to. My father actually was a, a, a volunteer in the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and uh, was actually injured uh, during uh, one of those uh, incidents. So, so, he was a volunteer, so then he wasn't a soldier? Oh, sorry. He was a, a volunteer. Uh, there was a draft in Australia, so mm-hmm. people were drafted into the army, but he actually volunteered to serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this idea that uh, if you volunteered, then no one else in your family uh, would be eligible for the draft. So, by him volunteering, it meant that his brothers uh, didn't have to. He wasn't the oldest, but certainly uh, his outlook uh, was very mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was injured. He unfortunately lost his best friend uh, during the war, and he certainly came back a little quieter. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a, a great talker uh, about his experiences. Do you think maybe that was uh, post-traumatic stress disorder? I think so. I mean, he he received a grenade shrapnel uh, mm. to the head uh, in his injury. Uh, his best friend was injured. And uh, I was going to say, uh, watching Apocalypse Now with Charlie Sheen and mm. Mar- Marlon Brando, he says, that's more real than I care to admit. Mm. And that's about his only comment on the war. Uh, but uh, when I was growing up, there was a, a kind of restlessness in him. And so we, we kind of traveled I think the nice way to say it is he was a pioneer, so he liked to start uh, new works, but mm-hmm. it, once it was running, he was looking for the next challenge. So oh, okay. we, uh, we've we traveled everywhere. I've lived in uh, Melbourne and Adelaide as a, as a young baby, don't have any memories, uh, lived in Perth for a few mm-hmm. years, 
Then we moved up to Darwin and uh, a little island called Elko Island, oh. uh, Galawinku, which is part of the Wessel Islands. Lived on a small island with about 2,000 Aboriginals where my father started a, a management training course. So that was an exciting life, <laughs> living on a small island. Yeah. Uh, this is back in the days when there was only one television station, so we only had access to the ABC. Uh-huh. And uh, that wasn't 24 hours, so at some point it turned off. But uh, <laughs> running around barefoot in the bush, <laughs> strangely enough, having a, a pet kangaroo. Oh, really? Uh, you know, those, you know, just a, a wildlife, bit like Tom Sawyer, uh, oh, those wow. kind of adventures. But it yeah. just seemed normal. Uh, and so, how old were you at that point? Uh, I would have been eight, nine, uh, ten years. So we were there for about four years uh, on the island. And, now, were, uh, were the people on the island poor or average income uh it's i guess from my little perspective we didn't really think about that uh there was maybe 20 30 uh white people on the island and the rest were aboriginals and we Mm. we had different roles so the missionary aviation fellowship maf uh, uh, flew into the into the island so we would regularly catch a flight from darwin to our island that way uh I just have good memories. It's, it was just an adventure for yeah. me as a young child. Um, you know, the beaches across the road, five gigantic mango trees in my backyard, oh, wow. pawpaw trees, you know, and a kangaroo <laughs> and a kangaroo. So, uh, yeah, just, just fun memories. Yeah. From, from there, we moved back to Darwin, back to Sydney. And then we lived in Alice Springs for a year. Uh, that's a town that has one at that time, one traffic light. Huh. Uh, so that was very exciting time. We were there for about a year and then. I came back to Sydney, and I've been here ever since. So wow, you really have moved around. Yeah, my I, we joke. My father was going to move to Vanuatu to take a job, but they ended up not doing the job and building an airport instead or a new runway. So when you're trying to estimate what your your father is worth, uh, for me, my father was worth a runway in Vanuatu. So that's <laughs> how important my father was. Okay, so what was the impact on you all this traveling around? Well, it's kind of made me an introvert. So, uh, is that right? I I don't like traveling. I'm quite happy to stay home. I'm a bit of a sook when I travel. I just, uh, <laughs> as soon as I arrive, I'm counting down the days till I can get home to my family. Uh, so that now, of course, <laughs> as the CEO of an organization that's international, that's it all part of some the challenges. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I mean, of course, yeah, it's the the smiling faces at the other end of the trip mm-hmm. yeah. when you're seeing the work. So you, you push through. Yeah. Just recently, I was flew from Melbourne to Newcastle to Brisbane to Perth all in one day. In so, one day. Uh, in one day. So oh my goodness. I don't recommend it. <laughs> okay. Now, getting back to your childhood, was there any spiritual influence in your life? Yeah, um, my mother's side uh, very spiritual. Uh, actually, my grandfather. Bill Britzer, William Britzer, he came to the Lord and felt called to the mission field. And so he knocked on the, this is back in Perth, he knocked on the door of the Bible college and said, let me in. And they said, no, but he Hmm. persisted (laughs) until they let him in. Uh, Some things don't come easy, but you have to be persistent. And eventually uh, he went to uh, an African country of Malawi where he served for 20 years as a, a Baptist missionary. Oh, okay. Had a dramatic impact uh, on the country. How so? What kind of impact? Uh, it, it's the there's there's something about uh, the bad part of missionary colonialism is trying to bring our culture on other cultures mm-hmm. and enforcing our views on other countries, which are well-meaning but uh, can have 
negative impacts, mm-hmm. whereas my grandfather really came with the idea that we are all equal under God and mm-hmm. saw them as uh, equals and treated them in that way. So he mm-hmm. quickly gained respect and uh, when he would travel to the different villages. Actually, an uncle wrote a biography about his memories of right? the story. So, What's the name of the book? Uh, the Boy from Brunswick. Oh, okay. Available at some good bookstores. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, I, have a, I have a copy of it. So, But it, he would just travel, and as he's traveling around in his constituency, if I can say it that way, he, he just loved people, mm. treated them with respect, and through that, you know, the gospel indeed and and in actions uh, was able to build connections and mm-hmm. uh, make an impact for the Lord. He had, uh, I think, when his fifth or sixth child was, uh, his wife was pregnant, they decided they needed to move back to Australia to raise the children with a proper education. Mm. But it was uh, a very tearful farewell. And then he he became a, a, a Baptist pastor, mm-hmm. uh, in WA and then came over to Sydney mm-hmm. and that's where my mother met my father Okay, uh, and uh, they caught each other's eyes. Apparently, my dad was the hot guy. Uh, I'd like <laughs> to say I'm commi- uh, following on on that story, uh, that, that <laughs> legacy, but maybe that's not quite so true. But uh, she caught my father's eye and uh, they got married and I think I was about two when my grandfather died, I'm the firstborn. Oh, of, yeah, I was going to ask of, if he had any impact on your life. He was a, a well-loved pastor. I think in the 70s, they had a, a youth group at the Baptist Church of about 170 people, I think. Uh, so there was something dynamic about my grandfather mm-hmm. that uh, people really responded to. And so I feel uh, some of that uh, has come on in, in my life mm-hmm. a, as well. Yeah, let's find out about your own spiritual journey. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, as my dad was traveling different places, we found ourselves in Perth uh, at York. I'm trying to get the right thing, Yokine. So we were actually living in a, a secondary Baptist manse. Uh, my mother was the children's church Sunday school teacher for the church, and my father was a youth group leader. So we had a little converted garage at the back, and he would run youth group. And uh, my mother would read a Bible story to us uh, every night. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've got a copy of the Good News for Modern Men, New Testament, very large print, mm-hmm. even from uh, across the country. You can probably read this print. But at the, the first page is an inscription from my mother, that says Ben gave his life to Jesus on January the 8th, 1980, six years old. Praise the Lord. So apparently, uh, as we were reading the stories, I I said, I, I want to accept Jesus into my heart as a mm-hmm. little six-year-old. And of course, my, my mother prayed with me. And uh, this is the time when you're still sharing a room with your sibling. So my little sister was with me, two years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And together, we both asked Jesus into our heart as little children and a testimony to to my mother's faithfulness and just the simple simplicity of her faith. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm looking at you via Zoom and you're holding the actual Bible. Is that right? Yes, I, I still have the Bible with that inscription. So I do have a shelf full of Bibles, <laughs> but this is a... Um, yeah, but that's kind of neat to have the very one that your mother read to you when you became a Christian. Yeah, uh, it's an important memory. You're listening to The Story. 
Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Ben Evans, who's the CEO of Feed the Hungry. Ben's sharing his life journey with us and the events that have shaped him into who he is today. We'll hear more of Ben's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is Ben Evans, who's the CEO of Feed the Hungry. Before the break, we heard a bit about his background and about his family's rich spiritual heritage. Now we'll hear more of his story as he continues his chat with Eric Scadabo. My wife is uh, Chinese Cantonese. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born overseas and came out as a. Not, well, now we, we got to find out how you guys met. <laughs> uh, high school sweethearts okay. is the, is the answer. So from about year ten. Uh, we were sitting in commerce, and I didn't realize it, but uh, we started flirting with each other. And and you didn't realize it. Typical guy. <laughs> t- typical guy. I'm just a friendly guy, you know. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, I, at youth group, I'm friends with everybody, so I'm very comfortable. I was always comfortable with the uh, with talking with girls, so I'm just making conversation, having fun. Mm-hmm. But her friend next to her liked my best friend, who was sitting next to me. So they wanted to swap so that we would give attention to her. And, you know, as young children do, it's all very complicated, very convoluted. Um, Then it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was giving her attention. Like it was like, oh. (laughs) And so I'd say shortly, but probably six months, uh, we started dating. And, uh, yeah, uh, we've been married since 95. Okay. So, you know, honestly, uh, well. And she's a Christian as well. Uh, she is now. She wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. We, it's that classic example, I think, of a, a Christian and a non-Christian dating, and how you're passionate about your faith, but you don't want to lose your girlfriend. You don't want to lose your boyfriend. If you share the gospel, maybe she'll reject you, and because she rejects your faith. So that was always uh, an issue for me. Uh, very good Christian boy, uh, of course. Uh, very honouring of parents, and you know, attending church, all those sort of things. But we we broke up, got back together, broke up several times because you know we're kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then one time, uh, one time she it was the breakup to end all breakups. It was towards the end of year eleven, start of year twelve, and she's saying, "I look, I need to concentrate on HSC, my final year of high school." So I got you're no time distracting for you. Me? Yeah, <laughs> and I went. I don't, there was something serious about the decision and i knew that it was final not like all the other breakups if that made sense mm-hmm. so accepted it and i i really don't know what prompted me uh but we i remember one night having a phone call we had a, a cordless phone so not a mobile phone but a cordless phone from you know landlines mm-hmm. and i'm outside on our our property and i'm i'm giving her the hard word so to speak and i'm saying you're going to hell and oh. it was this this realization that I've already lost my girlfriend. So my insecurity about sharing the gospel with my girlfriend, who may leave me because of my faith, ha- had gone. I'd already lost her, so I had nothing left to lose. Hmm. And so there was this uh, a confidence in me, I, to say it that way, just to have a calm conversation. And 
we we agreed to disagree on the point. She was telling me, I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm saying, that's that's just not how it works. Mm. You know, being a good person, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the important thing. He is the way, he is the truth. Mm. You know, there is, he is the only way to heaven. Uh, so we agreed to disagree and uh, left it. Uh, I still felt calm <laughs> about it. It's a, a strange experience. But uh, maybe... Maybe a few months later, I, I had this strange prompting again to call her up and ask her to come to our church anniversary concert. Uh, it was like the sixth year or seventh year of our mm. local church. So you were still and friendly? Still friendly, yeah. Um, but we probably didn't talk a whole lot at, mm. at school, but I called her up and uh, I was completely surprised because she said, yes, all right, I'll come. Uh, she came. The short version is that uh, she came. Uh, there was an altar call and she responded to the altar call and she was in tears and she said, you were right. And it's probably the only time my wife has said that to me. So <laughs> I, I cherish that memory. <laughs> Maybe have a little statue to memorialize that, that <laughs> yeah, special experience. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take those things for granted. To just got to harp that's on right. that for a that's while. Right. Oh, and, that's uh, right. Um, so this is year 12. And I think uh, I'm trying to get my ages right. I think I was 21, just after 21 when we got married. Oh, okay. But I mean, uh, we come back to because I gave my heart to the Lord as a young child. I grew up as a teenager, really in a good home, and I, I would say as a as a good person, I didn't really have to struggle with sin in, in that classic sense or temptations. Really. Uh, are you human? <laughs> yeah. That well, that was my concern because we would have testimony nights or outreaches and people would come up and they would share their testimony and how that they you know, they were drug dealers, they yeah, were, yeah. you know, murderers and uh, you know, all those sort of things. The dramatic and conversion. The very dramatic conversion. Mm -hmm. And I'm going I think there's something really powerful about the gospel in that one of its attributes is that it's transformative mm -hmm. and that when you encounter Jesus, he changes you. And mm -hmm. I love that idea that the disciples, their names changed as an example of that change. We have a change in our hearts now. Uh, that's how we look at it. And I just can't remember my pre-conversion life. All I can remember is my life uh, after six as as a child. Mm. And so I started, generally, I started to question whether I was actually saved or just a, naturally a good person. And the more testimonies that I started to hear, I started to, I actually had a crisis of faith. I started to doubt whether I was saved and mm. I started to think maybe I'm just a good person. And it was really getting to me. It was really bothering me. And mm. so it just dawned on me and I said, there's no rule. There's no reason. There's no Thing preventing me saying the sinner's prayer again. Mm -hmm. And so one night in my bed, I just, I said, you know, Lord, forgive me. I, I, and I just went through the sinner's prayer and I said, mm -hmm. you know, I, I make you Lord of my life. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to, you know, to cleanse me, make me righteous and, um, you know, give me a new heart. And uh, I have told this part of my story before. So I, I take a lot of glee in saying, you know what I felt afterwards? I felt absolutely the same. Hmm. No feeling, no, no of warm any feeling or anything. No, no angel singing in three part harmony. Hmm. Nothing. I felt exactly the same from when I said it before. Mm -hmm. But the difference for me 
is I've never doubted from that day. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, a real moment. So a, a rededication. I think uh, we're, we're familiar with that language. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, but I think you know some people. I've heard this before. They were maybe raised in a Christian family and questioned their salvation, like you did. But I think what you did was the logical thing to do. Well, if you're in doubt, make sure there is no doubt. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Pray the sinner's prayer and and move on. I, I like I've in in my church life, I've met many people who kind of have that doubt and keep coming back up for prayer and and having had that experience, I know it's okay. It's not a reflection that they're not saved. It's mm. just they're working through it and just mm. relax. Yeah. And I, I encourage you, if, if you have doubts, just return back to the source and uh, just keep going. There's a quiet assurance now. It's I think that that's the end of this story, right? Uh, I was young. I was good. I rededicated my life, and that, that's the end of the story. But there is a little bit more to the story, which I don't want to mention, but I think I owe it to tell the rest of the story because okay. um, you have me curious now. <laughs> come, it'll be right after this break. Stay <laughs> tuned. Uh, <laughs> uh, the nature of my mother in our church is that uh, she would pay a dollar and get a copy of the sermon on a cassette mm-hmm. and bring it home so you could back listen in the to days of cassettes. Yep, yep. And so we used to do that. We would attend church twice on Sunday, so we soon collect. Uh, a lot of tapes. And I think at some point, my mother said, uh, I've got too many. We had a, a tea chest full of tapes at one point, 100, 200, 300 cassettes in this box. And my mother said, we need to make room for more tapes, no doubt. Huh. So she asked me to, th- you know, to go through them. So I'm looking at the tapes and sometimes it would have a label that makes sense. And other times it was just simply the date. So, okay, Sunday the 3rd. All right, I'm just going to throw that one. Mm-hmm. Sunday the the tenth. I'm going to throw that one, and then there would be a speaker's name. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll put that in that pile. And so I'm going through, you know, just picking them out. And there was one tape that I don't think had a title, but it was from a speaker called Ivan. And I, oh, that sounds like a, a Russian name, of course. So I put that in the pile, and I don't know how long I went through. There's probably a few tapes that I collected, but. I grab that cassette and put it in a tape player and I'm just playing it while I'm in the background. But somehow, somehow during his sermon, I had a vision. And I actually had a vision of me standing in front of the cross and seeing Jesus on the cross. And I'm looking at Jesus and he never said anything. I'm, it's just me looking at Jesus and I'm just looking at his eyes and I just knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus died for me. Mm. We say that often that if I was the only one, Jesus would die for me, that Mm. I am precious to him. And that became a very real experience for me. And so I don't know if the tape finished. And this is why I say it was an experience. I haven't gone back to the tape because I don't, Mm. it's connected to an experience that I don't want to muddle. But I just sat there weeping Mm. and my girlfriend uh, I've only had one girlfriend. My girlfriend became my wife, so uh, I'm very grateful for that experience. But my girlfriend came over to me. This is before we broke up. And uh, I'm just weeping. And she's going, what's going on? And I, I just, I couldn't talk. I was just weeping. I, it was a, an experience that was hard to put in words. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there weeping. And eventually, she's trying to work out why I'm crying. And, of course, all, all children, 
we're teenagers, but we're children. She's being self-interested and she's thinking, are you trying to tell me that you're gay? <laughs> and, and is that why you're crying? And is this a way that we're going to break up? That that was her response. And I, <laughs> like you, I just, it made me laugh. Yeah, she didn't uh, know what was going on inside of you. Yeah. And that kind of broke that moment for me and I was was able to, to do it. And so I know that those two, me rededicating my life and this supernatural experience are connected. But for me, I think when I rededicated my life, that's the end of the story for me because I doubted and I, I've stopped doubting and I'm confident in my thing. This this experience is is bonus. Mm. You know, it's it's separate. It's not what I was asking for, but I feel like I, you know, I have that experience there. So you have that confidence now. Yeah, I, I have. Well, I, I had resolved the issue mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when I rededicated it. And then this, this other experience is, is on top of that. Okay, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's chat with Ben Evans, the CEO of Feed the Hungry, who's been sharing his life journey with us. We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of his story and how the Lord leads him to be involved in feeding the hungry in various parts of the world. That's all coming up next time. To learn more about Feed the Hungry, you can go to their website. It's feedthehungry.org.au. Also, to learn more about their yearly Takeaway Hunger Day and how you can be involved, you can find that information at their website also. Once again, it's feedthehungry.org. Finally, before we end today, we'll leave you with a Bible verse that has been very impactful in Ben's life. It's from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief, or in other words, the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And when you have an abundant life, you can't help but want to share it with others so they can be fulfilled as well. Once again, we invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Ben's story and how Feed the Hungry is being a blessing to many. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Two weeks before my 21st birthday, my father died in a car accident, uh, which was a, a terrible moment, not only because it was just before my 21st birthday and it's all about me, but my mother was actually eight months pregnant with our sixth brother. Once again, Ben Evans from Feed the Hungry joins us to share more of the events that have shaped his life and how the Lord led him to become involved in feeding the hungry in various parts of the world. That's Ben Evans, the CEO of Feed the Hungry, sharing more of his story next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.